So today's video is going to be around the secret God. Now, what is this secret God? Well, it is a God which is above all other gods and was never taught within the Christian church. It was deemed a demon by the church and theologians of Christianity because it was the great archon within Basilidian, I think, if I've said that right, Basilidian Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was seen as heresy uh, by the church. But why is this, you could say, the secret god of Jung and Nietzsche? Well, we will get to that in a bit. To get into the technical aspects of its name, Abraxas has seven letters, and these seven letters symbolize the planets of the solar system. If we add up the value of each letter within its name through Greek translation, we get to the total number of 365 which is the total number of days there are in a year. So this god was deemed very, very important by the Gnostics. As we can see from the symbolism of the Abraxas, it is fundamentally a symbol of unified polarities. We have the shield of protective wisdom, compensated with the whip of power, a rooster's head to symbolize vigilance and attention, and of course, the legs of a snake, which is very feminine especially when you start to think of the Shakti energies within Hinduism with regards to Kundalini, which means the coiled snake and, of course, the body of a man. But this symbol starts to get really interesting when we start to look at the theological terms within Gnosticism, like Pleroma. Now, this term falls in line with other metaphysical understandings, such as Brahman in Hinduism, the Tao in Taoism, Unus Mundus in alchemy. This, this idea that there is an underlying fabric uh, within our existence which is itself limited by definition through our language and comprehension, like the Tao is. We cannot define it because language would limit our understanding of the Pleroma. It is the pre-material, the cosmic immaterial. You can even relate it to the hermetic principle which is referred to as the all, the underlying substantial reality, but at the same time it is the undifferentiated world, uh, that which lies before differentiation, before creation into the material world, for what exists within all of us is the pleroma, yet the material is not the pleroma itself. Jung's Seven Sermons of the Dead is a Gnostic text, which expands the idea of Abraxas further, and through it we start to identify that Abraxas is a god above God, something beyond good and evil in a Nietzschean sense, and this is where we identify the Nietzschean link. So what I am going to do is pick out some areas of the Seven Sermons of the Dead, uh, expand on them and explain them instead of reading the entire thing, which is a very heavy going which is very heavy going in itself, probably you would want to do in your own time. So this mystical text, I believe, was an active imagination, and thus Jung does not identify that he wrote this himself personally. He says that these are the words of the Christian Gnostic teacher Basilides, who saw Abraxas as the great archon, and he is thus giving sermons to the dead, the Christians. I quote, Nothingness is the same as fullness. In infinity, full is as good as empty. Nothingness is empty and full. You might as just as well say 
anything else about nothingness. For instance, that it is white or black, or that it does not exist, or that it exists. That which is endless and eternal has no qualities, since it has all qualities. We call this nothingness and fullness the pleroma. So this is the introduction to the first sermon of the dead, to the first sermon, which is saying, look, the pleroma is the explicated manifold of divine characteristics, a state of fullness with the existence of opposites before they manifest and become as such. That they are in the state of promise before they become. But at the same time, the opposites are non-existent because they have not yet become differentiated through creation. So to give a rough example, what existed before the Big Bang? That would be the pleroma in a sense, the existence of divinity before being attached to the material. Jung also developed the idea of the pleroma in relation to the, to the Tibetan bardo, because bardo is the intermediate state between two lives. Uh, so metaphorically, think of your consciousness being suspended from the body within a meditative state. Uh, that would be referred to as the bardo. Uh, it would be the same with even being in the state of illness. And Jung said, well, okay, the bardo is pre-existence and potentiality at the same time, which is the pleroma itself. So moving on, he states that, look, we need to distinguish the qualities of the pleroma. And he says that these qualities are pairs of opposites. So I quote, the effective and the ineffective, the fullness and the emptiness, the living and the dead, the different the different and the same, light and darkness, hot and cold, force and matter, time and space, <clears throat> good and evil, the beauty and the ugly, the one and the many, etc. But then he writes, the pairs of opposites are the qualities of the, of the pleroma that do not exist, because they cancel themselves out. As we are the pleroma itself, we also have all these qualities in us, since our nature is grounded in differentiation, we have these qualities in the name and under the sign of differentiation. Which means, first, these qualities are differentiated and separate in us, therefore they do not cancel each other out, but are effective. Thus we are the victims of the pairs of opposites. The pleroma is rent within us. Second, these qualities belong to the pleroma, and we must possess and live them only in the name and under the sign of differentiation. We must differentiate ourselves from these qualities. They cancel each other out in the pleroma, but not in us. Distinction from them saves us. End quote. So here he is talking about the human and our nature, that our nature is grounded in differentiation, because we are creations. Just like the Hegelian synthesis, we need to differentiate and not fall prey to the opposites of the pleroma. We need to synthesize, because that is what essence is. The essence of the individual is the soul. Further on, a question arises concerning God, where the dead ask, We want to know about God. Where is God? Is God dead? God is not dead, he says. He is as alive as ever. God is creation, for he is something definite, and therefore differentiated from the pleroma. He is less differentiated 
than creation since the ground of his essence is effective fullness. Effective emptiness is the essence of the devil. Everything that differentiation takes out of the pleroma is a pair of opposites. Therefore, the devil always belongs to God. So from this we can grasp that God is effective fullness. And the devil is effective emptiness, which are two opposites, but this is where we get this idea of a praxis, saying, fullness and emptiness, generation and destruction, are what distinguish God and the devil. Effectiveness is common in both, effectiveness joins them, since it unites fullness and emptiness through its effectuality. And this is the important part, really. This is a God you knew nothing about because mankind forgot him. We call him by his name Abraxas. He is even more indefinite than God and the devil. To distinguish him from God, we call God Helios, or Son. Abraxas is effect. Nothing stands opposed to him but the ineffective. Hence, his effective nature unfolds itself freely. Abraxas stands above the sun and above the devil. If the Pleroma had an essence, if it had something like a soul, a purpose, let's say, Abraxas would be its manifestation. He is the effectual itself. Not any particular effect, but effect in general. He is force, duration, change. So essentially, Abraxas is the god which allows effectiveness between the opposites. The god which manifests the synthesis of thesis and antithesis, the absolute. Abraxas is life itself, which is what is produced from the synthesis of opposites. The reason why we say that if the Pleroma had an essence or a soul with intent, it would be Abraxas is because the Pleroma in itself is the totality of all opposites. And if so, then its essence would be some kind of infinite synthesis of creation. But Abraxas is above all gods. It is the effect of all causes which collide, the life produced from all things submerging, the mother of good and evil. Abraxas is the god who is difficult to grasp. His power is greatest because man does not see it. From the sun he draws the sunum bonum, which basically means happiness as being the greatest good in Aristotelian uh, philosophy. From the devil, the infinum malum, but from Abraxas, life, altogether indefinite, the mother of good and evil, end quote. So the reason why this relates to Nietzsche is because Abraxas is beyond good and evil. He is the outcome of synthesis. It is neither one or the other. Like Nietzsche's Dionysian affirmation of life, Abraxas is the affirming principle because it is totality itself. Nothing is rejected but affirmed because that is what produces life and makes a life heavy. The re-evaluation of values also links into this, I think. This is what I think Nietzsche was trying to explain through his conception and understanding of the Ubermensch. And you have to ask yourself, is it the case that humans are Abraxas? That we are the individuals that formulate the absolute from the opposite? That we formulate the distinctiveness to be what it means to be, a, uh, to be an individual? For in this sermon, the dead raised a great tumult, for they were Christians. They didn't like what the Gnostic had to say through the words of Jung, being preached that there is a God above all other gods, that, that this itself is the one 
which brings effect to the causes of differentiation when in opposition. What unfolds from polarity is the life of Abraxas. This is very similar to William Blake's poem, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, when the two submerge, uh, where, where you need the existence of the contraries for progression, for life itself. But fundamentally, Abraxas is the demiurge, the one who creates and fashions the world through synthesis, and for a demiurge to synthesize, it needs to be effect itself thus withholding in itself the essence of the pleroma. You could say that it is the god which is the moulding of Purusha, Prakriti, and Shiva, all in one for its essence, for it is essence, matter, and destruction. The power of Abraxas, I quote, is twofold, but you do not see it, because in your eyes the wearing opposites of the power are cancelled out. What the Son, God, speaks is life. What the devil speaks is death. But Abraxas speaks that hallowed and accursed word that is at once life and death. Abraxas produces the truth and lying, good and evil, light and darkness, in the same word, in the same act. Therefore, Abraxas is terrible. He is as splendid as a lion in the instant he strikes down his victim. He is beautiful as a spring day. He is the great and the small pan alike. He is Priapus. He is the monster of the underworld, a thousand-armed pulp. A coiled knot of winged serpents frenzy. He is the hermaphrodite of the earliest beginning. He is a lord of toads and frogs which live in the water and go up on the land, whose chorus ascends at noon and at night. He is the fullness that seeks union with emptiness. He is the holy begetting, he is love and its murder, he is the saint and his betrayer, to look upon him blindness, to recognise him is sickness, to worship him is death, to fear him is wisdom. Jung in this text always says Abraxas is terrible, and the reason why he says this is that I think not to be interpreted as, as a word of specific meaning and connotation, because this is He's talking about Abraxas, who is a god beyond good and evil. The word terrible is very extendable. Things can be terribly good and terribly bad and terribly wicked. It is to emphasise the extraordinary nature of how things prevail in all sense of the word. This is a god which gives understanding to what the unavoidability of lifelong eternal flux is. That which allows things to change and occur from the Pleroma. So yeah, I think I will leave it there. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to give it a like, comment and subscribe. Make sure to check out my Patreon if you're interested in donating towards the channel. I've also set up a YouTube membership for people that want to contribute but don't want to use Patreon as a means of doing so. So if you go to my YouTube channel homepage, there is a button which says join and you can pick whatever tier you wish. With that said, Thanks for watching and I wish you a lovely day.